There's been a brewing controversy involving Elon Musk, the delivery of ventilators and CNN over the past several days, because CNN ran a story without fact checking, where the governor of California said that they've never received the ventilators Elon Musk was supposed to deliver. In fact, the hospitals did receive them. Instead of correcting this mistake, CNN just plays semantics. But interestingly, so do many other media outlets. They immediately start claiming that CPAP and BiPAP machines are not ventilators. Well, they're not the kind of ventilators people are typically thinking of when we say ventilator. They actually are. More importantly, Elon Musk says they were the devices specifically requested. How do we get to a point where the media is claiming that Elon Musk is not delivering when he literally delivered exactly what they asked for? See, the media drives off of rage bait and fake news. They get a comment without fact checking, and they know Elon Musk being a high profile figure, they will get traffic off of this controversy. And the controversy has been brewing for a few days. Now, I'm certainly not shy about criticizing the media, but there's a more important point through all of this. Yes, perhaps you clicked this story because I made a thumbnail about a smackdown and Elon Musk. But the reality is these news organizations are upset. These journalists are getting uh, angry. They've been losing their jobs over the past several years. They've repeatedly claimed they need a bailout. They need some kind of assistance. They need to do a buyback away from these hedge funds that that are stripping them bare. They keep trying to justify why they should exist and why they are essential. Right now, they're actually asking for a stimulus or a bailout, and there are some Democrats entertaining this. Many others think they absolutely should not be doing this. Now, there's an interesting conundrum here. Should news organizations get bailed out? I mean, I think any business can, should be able to apply for some kind of loan because no one should go out of business simply because of this emergency. I mean, for the most part. But at the same time, news organizations are failing because they aren't providing essential services. What is a journalist supposed to do? A journalist collects information and then disseminates it. That's the very basic function of journalism. But what is CNN doing? Well, CNN, along with other outlets, are right now engaged in performative nonsense. You got Chris Cuomo on late night TV and CNN pretending to be quarantined. We now know that's not true. He confirmed on his radio show about an encounter out in the public. You've got their hosts complaining about Fox News just doing performance. And when a story comes out with no fact checking, saying that Elon Musk never delivered these ventilators, and it turns out he did, what do they do? They write another article arguing with him about the semantics of what does qualify as a true ventilator. That isn't giving anybody essential information. It's not helping us better understand the world. So why should we care if you lose your jobs? In fact, I would argue CNN is not essential. Journalism is, but they're not doing journalism. They're just creating entertainment content. So I could argue technically that I'm essential because what I do is journalistic in practice, but I'm not going to go outside with a press badge and argue I should be granted special access because what I'm doing is journalism. I'm doing commentary, which brings me to the final point of this. Should they receive a bailout? Well, I'll show you the arguments for and against it. And it's not even necessarily about whether or not what they do is good. It's about whether or not the government should be stepping in and tying themselves to the private, in, the, the private journalism se- uh, industries. Now, there are news outlets that get public funding. Should they all? Probably not. But let's read the arguments. The first thing I want to do is I, I got to drag CNN over this because I really want to break down this controversy. It's a admittedly slow news day. It's Saturday, but I've been particularly frustrated with how CNN's been handling all of this news. And it seems like in their desperation, they are spinning a fake news tale. We'll start from the beginning. But before we do, 
Head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's several ways you can give. The best thing you can do is just share this video. We've got a a major competitive. Well, uh, let let me back up. I'm competing with CNN. The problem on YouTube, YouTube will actually put CNN on the front page and guarantee them coverage. And then I have to step up and try and correct all of the misinformation and actually do the journalism they were supposed to do, but didn't. They're not making it easier for us to understand what's going on. They're confusing the issue because they want to argue with Elon Musk and generate clicks. If you think I do a good job, sharing this video is substantially more powerful than any algorithmic boost. So it really does help. Also, make sure to subscribe, hit the like button and hit the notification bell. If you want to make sure, hopefully, YouTube will actually let you know when my videos are uploaded. The first story we saw from CNN 22 hours ago, Elon Musk's promised ventilators never delivered to California hospitals, governor's office says. They say Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, said last month, He had obtained more than a thousand ventilators to help California hospitals treating patients infected with with coronavirus, an effort Governor Gavin Newsom hailed as heroic. Now, more than three weeks later, the governor's office says none of the promised ventilators have been received by hospitals. At a March 23 news conference, Newsom said the devices, which can provide life-saving support to patients, had already arrived in Los Angeles and were on their way to hospitals in need, saying, I told you a few days ago that he was likely to have a thousand ventilators this week. They arrived in LA and Elon Musk is already working with hospital association and others to get those ventilators out. It's a heroic effort. And that's true. He did. They're there. Elon brought the receipts. You may have seen the initial part of the story. So forgive me if you've already heard the gist of this, but this is the beginning context because the the controversy has now expanded and CNN and others are tearing. I'm, I'm sorry, Twitter users and fans of Elon are tearing CNN apart over this. So Elon Musk famously responded just a couple days ago. What I find most surprising is that CNN still exists. He tweets to Governor Gavin Newsom, please fix the misunderstanding, and then provides receipts. In one email that says Tesla support LA County, we can see someone from lacounty.gov saying, do you know if these, uh, I'm sorry, someone from Tesla asked LA, the lacounty.gov, do you know if these ventilators went into use? The lacounty.gov individual said they worked great during testing today. We will put these to use tomorrow. Now, what's the right thing for CNN to do? Admit the mistake and carry on. And what did they do? Nothing. They, they didn't. They actually doubled down. Reporters blamed Elon Musk for not responding, even though Elon provided numerous emails showing that, yes, in fact, he did actually provide ventilators. In this tweet, Elon Musk shows a list of the hospitals to which Tesla sent ventilators. And this context here is important for the story coming up. He said these were based on direct requests from their ICU wards with exact specifications of each unit provided before shipment. Now, when I say Elon Musk provide, you know, he goes for the smackdown. He does. He slams CNN quite a bit. I'm showing you this first because now I'm going to get into the context around what's happening before I show you how CNN responded to this. The hospitals themselves requested these specific devices, CPAP and BiPAP machines. In one tweet from New York, They said, special thanks to Tesla for a donation of 40 ventilators to our team in NYC Health plus Hospital Elmhurst in Queens. These will be essential in the fight against the coronavirus from March 31st. These these ventilators that were sent, I believe, were CPAP and BiPAP machines. They are called non-invasive ventilators. When people say ventilators, they're typically referring to invasive ventilation, meaning they go right into your lungs, provide oxygen directly. 
That is not what Elon Musk provided, but Elon Musk was delivering what they had asked for. Well, sure enough, we can see uh, also over at Newsweek, all hospitals were given specific, I'm sorry, all hospitals were given exact specifications of ResMed and Philips ventilators before delivery and all confirmed they would be critical, Musk wrote, after one supportive Twitter user noted that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo had confirmed this week that BiPET machines were now being converted into the more invasive form of ventilators on the approval of the state's own health department. So not only are the hospitals requesting these, they're doing the conversions, they're getting what they need. Of course, CNN couldn't be satisfied with that when one person responded to uh, Elon Musk's list saying, why isn't this the story? I'd much rather read the good that Tesla has done for the USA than a made up story about how no ventilators were delivered in CA. CNN, don't be part of the problem. Jackie Waddles, who is a reporter over at CNN, she's a CNN business writer, said, I just want to weigh in, weigh in and say that CNN reporters, including me, have reached out to Tesla multiple times to ask about ventilators over the past several weeks, and we never got a response. This latest story reports what Governor Newsom said. Have you tried fact checking? Did you call the hospitals before the report? They didn't. So Elon Musk has been right the whole time. CNN could have easily said, you know what? You're right, Elon. We didn't actually fact check what the governor said. We just released a government statement. Journalists aren't supposed to be mouthpieces for the government. If the government says something, you investigate it. Well, that's not what CNN did. When it turns out that they were wrong, here's what we get instead. John Passantino, formerly of BuzzFeed, now of CNN, tweets, Elon Musk posted a list of California hospitals yesterday. He said had received ventilators. We called all of them and everyone that responded said they received CPAP or BiPAP machines, not ventilators. And there it is. That's why I showed you the tweet from uh, uh, the statement from Newsweek, as well as the uh, tweet, uh, the tweet from NYC hospitals, because these are ventilators. They're just non-invasive ones. CNN is now trying to manipulate language instead of just correcting. Why do we have a news media that is arguing with someone about semantics instead of just being honest and helping us understand what's actually happening? Well, it's because they're not real news. They're, it's just fake news. You know, Donald Trump likes to call CNN fake news. And I was asked recently, at what point do we point out it's not laziness? It's intentional. Yeah, it's intentional. I'm sorry. I got to point out the Cuomo thing again, man. You want evidence of CNN fabricating the news? They're doing it right now every night with Cuomo pretending to be quarantined, and they won't fess up or admit it. When Elon Musk tried to do something nice, the media, what do they do? They write fake news to smear the guy because no good deed goes unpunished. Here's the story. Elon Musk says he sent ventilators to California hospitals. They say they got something else instead. No, you are, you are twisting the definition of the words to make the guy look bad. So when we get to the point about how they're asking for stimulus money, you know where I'll probably fall on, on, on that dice roll, right? CNN writes, Governor Gavin Newsom responded Thursday to Tesla CEO Elon Musk's claim the company had delivered more than a thousand ventilators to the state's hospitals. In a series of tweets early Thursday, Musk asked Newsom to please fix this misunderstanding after the governor's office told CNN the, state, the state's hospitals had not received ventilators promised last month by the Tesla CEO, including in tweets from Musk was a partial list of hospitals that he had said had been sent ventilators. In another tweet, he said the donations were based on direct requests from their ICU wards with exact specifications of each unit provided before shipment. Quote, I was not personally aware of that list, Newsom said in a press conference. I'm very encouraged that he put out that list and those specific hospitals 
But that's where he had been sending those resources. And I, uh, he, okay, let me, let me shut that over. He says, I'm very encouraged that he put out that list and those specific hospitals. That's where he had been sending those resources. And I look forward to learning more about where they went. And I'm grateful for his support. Wow. So when CNN doesn't fact check and, and then actually makes Elon Musk look bad and he has to come out and say, boom, here are the receipts. Then Governor Newsom responds. CNN should have got the statement first. And if they couldn't, they should have fact checked and then asked Governor Gavin Newsom. They didn't. But they put out this story anyway. And here's where they refuse to accept responsibility. Ventilators or something else. CNN contacted 10 California hospitals identified by Musk in the partial list of recipients he posted on Thursday. Of the four hospitals that responded, all said they had received bi-level positive airway pressure or continuous positive airway pressure machines. Devices that can aid breathing and be used for sleep apnea, none had received ventilators. This is a lie. It's amazing how far they're willing to go to lie to you, to maintain their narrative. And you know what? Here's the, here's the secret. S- CNN puts out this fake news. They get a million or whatever clicks. People come to the story. They read it. They go, oh, egad. They force Elon Musk to engage, giving them more traffic, generating more controversy. CNN then does not correct. They engage the controversy, argue with Elon and play semantics to get more clicks. And the worst of it, they can write fake news and get a million hits. The next day, issue a correction and apology, get no hits. Doesn't matter. They still made the money. The truth is, and you can look this up, CPAP machines and BiPAP machines are ventilators. They're not colloquial, semantically ventilators, I suppose. You know, they're non-invasive. And people typically refer to ventilators as invasive, but they literally are what was asked for. Case in point, New York City called them ventilators. In the emails posted by Elon Musk, they are called ventilators. CNN is just lying again. In this tweet from a user named uh, Viv on Twitter, he says, one, C and BiPET machines are a type of ventilator. It's literally on both the ResMed and John Hopkins Medicine website. Hospitals have been saying repeatedly that the machines donated by Musk are much appreciated and can be converted to critical, critical care capable. And three, F off John. Elon Musk then tweets, cancel news network. Another user says, this is why I'm sick of mainstream media. They are not reporting news, but fake stories with their own agendas. Main reason why I started my own blog, And Elon Musk with the final smackdown, advertising salespeople dressed as truth tellers. Please don't forget it. I'm going to make sure I tell you this one more time. It is a slow news day for sure. But you know, I'm a big critic of the media. So of all the stories that I could have chosen, I really wanted to break down how they are lying. This is what the media does. They create manipulative stories. They try and justify a headline. They write fake news clickbait. And you know what? You can accuse me of being guilty of similar things. Sometimes I can be hyperbolic. I can exaggerate or, you know, it's clickbaity. But I try to make sure that what I'm saying is at least based in fact. Yeah, maybe maybe the headlines are a little sensational. Like, you know, this one's Elon Musk smackdown of CNN. Yeah, right. I'm an opinion guy. I'm one person. And this is the kind of content I make. CNN is supposed to be, they're supposed to be telling us how the world is working. They're supposed to be the most trusted name in news. But come on, they're straight up lying about what's really going on. One, uh, this person who claims to be a doctor saying that they are COVID battleground New York with a picture of them wearing protection, uh, protective gear said North Shore greatly appreciated the donation, the, the donation. Thank you, Elon. Someone actually responded to this doctor saying they aren't ventilators. They are old BiPAP machines. 
Most all hospitals have banned BiPAP machines in setting of COVID due to aerosolization. The doctor responded, we are making them into invasive vents, my friend. It's an easy convert. And then links to uh, northwell.edu. Northwell converts BiPAP machines into ventilators for hospitalized COVID-19 patients, uses 3D printed adapter. (laughs) You actually have doctors on Twitter saying, thank you, Elon, for the help. Why does everything always have to be so awful to these people? Look, I get it again. I'll accept criticism because I'm a part of this game too. Here I am with a negative story talking about how the media is so awful, but it's kind of like multi-layered. If CNN wasn't putting out this fake news, I wouldn't be talking about it. And I haven't been for the most part. I've been much more focused on politics as of recent, but here we go. At a time when we need to know more than ever that, you know, uh, what's going on with this crisis, CNN isn't serving to help us understand. They're serving to confuse us on purpose and refuse to accept responsibility for it. You get Brian Stelter, who's ragging on Fox News and Trump all day, adding to the noise and the confusion, doing an opinion show. You get his media reporters, once again, just doing opinion content. And it's fine if you want to do opinion content. Just stop pretending your news. Because now it brings me to the political aspect of everything. CJR writes, journalism needs a stimulus. Here's what it should look like. They say COVID-19 has upended everything, including business as usual in Washington. In a matter, uh, in a matter of days facing the reality of a nationwide shutdown and worsening economic crisis, Congress got serious about spending money, a lot of it. A recovery package in the trillions of dollars, blah, blah, blah. They write, Free Press, the independent nonprofit advocacy organization I lead, champions structural solutions to the news business's uh, dire financial problems. We've long campaigned for more federal and state support for public media, opposed media consolidation, and argued that journalism is too important to democracy to be left to the whims of the market. The free press organization that's asking for money right now championed the banning of certain figures on social media, ran petitions asking people to get certain news, uh, certain, I don't necessarily want to say news outlets, but political commentary outlets banned. I'm going to avoid getting into the specifics of it, but they're not about the free press. They recently led some kind of lawsuit or legal action to try and get the government to take action against a news outlet to which the FCC responded, we are not going to police speech in this country. They, they call themselves free press, but they're not. Yet they are still saying they deserve money from the government. I'm sorry, man. News in this country died a long time ago. And we need it more than ever. There are real journalists losing their jobs. The only problem? These real journalists refuse, refuse to call out the, the, the slime in the industry that has been draped over their work and is now creating just garbage information that confuses people. You want to rag on Fox News, do it with my blessing. But you can't ignore CNN. You can't ignore what the New York Times does. You can't ignore the Washington Post. They're all doing this. Now, maybe it's because they're just trying to survive. Okay, that's fair. But you got to stop pretending it's real news. And to all these people who just blindly believe it, I mean, they're going to be left trapped in this fake reality of, of nonsense. You know, I've had people respond to tweets of mine. I've been very critical of the media right now saying, stop lying. And sure enough, these poor people who believe complete fake information respond saying things that are just not true. The worst thing about this is if you watch someone like me and many others in conservative media, they'll tell you to watch what you can. They'll tell you to watch everybody. In fact, they'll share the articles. I frequently say, make sure you watch other people. Don't just get your information from me. You know why? It's not just about getting a second opinion. 
It's also about realizing, hey, I'm right. When I tell you, you should go watch this guy's channel because maybe there's something I missed. Many people watch these other channels and these, these networks and then say, I just realized how wrong they were. The things you were saying were, were backed up by sources. Theirs weren't. Good. We can realize then who's, tr- who's lying and who's not. And I'll tell you what, that's my view of it. It's entirely possible I really am wrong. And you should go watch them. But when you watch Brian Stelter on CNN, when you read these CNN stories, they will tell you they are the most trusted name in news, and they will tell you not to get your information from other sources. They actually have done this. So then what? You get trapped in a bubble of fake news. When their business starts decaying because it's archaic and failing, what do they do? They turn to the government for money to sustain them. And that, to me, is the worst part of this. Look how hard Elon Musk had to fight to prove they were lying. And imagine how everybody else has to do this all day, every day. If you're a Trump supporter, oh, you know it. They lie nonstop. Trump is far from perfect. Trump talks BS a lot, too. I'll try to keep my language down. But there's a massive media apparatus, and Trump is one man. Now, he's the most powerful man in the, in the world, for sure. And I mean, it's not saying a whole lot. Maybe he's not necessarily the most powerful, because maybe you could say some billionaires are. But he's certainly up there. And that means when he lies or says things that are wrong, it's very serious. A good journalist would try and make sure they can, you know, keep your trust while calling out the things that Trump says are incorrect and trying to verify if what he's saying is true or false. But you end up with these performance performance art pieces by people like Jim Acosta, and it's just not real news. It's a sideshow. They accuse Trump of doing it, but they do the exact same thing. So let me make one thing clear for you. Let's step outside of the argument of whether or not Trump is being honest or the media is being honest. What is Trump lying or is the media lying? It doesn't matter. It is not the role of our news media, all of these different organizations to perform for us. If Donald Trump is going to give us propaganda and try to get reelected, you know what I say to that? Sounds like a politician. If our news media abandons objectivity for this idea of mission driven, driven storytelling and, you know, uh, resistance. Well, then we no longer have objective reality. I mean, many of us do. If you're watching channels like mine and you watch other channels, you'll get a, a better view of things. Is it perfect? No way. I'm certainly biased for sure. I have my biases against the media, against much of the establishment, which more so includes much of the Democratic establishment. But if you only watch CNN, you live in a twisted and warped reality. They give you your boogeyman, Fox News. But CNN is essentially the same thing. Again, we could, I'm stepping outside of the arguments about who's right or who's wrong politically. If you look at the, the, the late night hosts for Fox News, yeah, you get Hannity, you get Ingram, it's you know people like that. And if you look at the late night for CNN, you get Cuomo and you get Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper, and they're playing the same game. The only difference When you watch Tucker Carlson, you know you're being fed opinions. When you watch Don Lemon, he actually asserts he's fair and balanced, but then goes on rants and and laughs and and mocks Trump supporters and Trump and gives overt opinions and makes weird nonsensical statements. Jim Acosta stands up and grandstands, teeing up Trump for the perfect smackdown of CNN. And then when CNN is called out for not doing actual journalism because they didn't fact check the governor's statement, Elon Musk has to spend a couple days proving they're lying. And then in the end, instead of admitting it, what do they do? They just argue semantics. It's the worst kind of performance crap you can get out of the press. So I'll tell you what, I will never tell you not to watch CNN. By all means, go read what they're saying. Then when you watch my video, you'll be like, wow, that's a good point, Tim. I did read that from CNN. At least that's how I see it. 
Maybe you'll eventually get something from CNN that proves me wrong. I think that's fair to point out. It's possible. Same is true for MSNBC and the Washington Post and the New York Times. I tend to think these digital websites are pretty good. I mean, they're, 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 they're mostly okay. You just got to break through the noise and try and figure out where the lies are. The New York Times just ran defense for Joe Biden. It was disgusting. The Washington Post has written overt fake news before, but I tend to use these sources. It's funny when people on Twitter will be like, Tim Pool rags in the media all day, but then just reads their articles. Yeah, I've pointed that out several times. You know what I do? I'll find an article from CNN and then I will look through it. And if I find contradictory information, false framing or lies, I call it out. So quite literally, this whole segment is giving you the basic understanding of what I do every day, but you don't see it. When I do a video talking about the uh, the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, here's what she's doing. I talk to you about how I perceive what they're doing versus what Trump is doing and why Trump tends to win out on these things. You can argue that I'm biased and that's fair. But if you look at my track record of saying Trump was right about this, Trump is winning on this fight, it coincides with an increase in his, his donors the amount of money he's making, his poll numbers. And I'm not the one making that happen. I'm telling you it's happening and then it's happening. So when you see those videos I produce, what I'm not telling you for the most part is every time I found fake news. So a lot of people want to say that what I do is not journalism. It is not at the top, right? First and foremost, it is political commentary. But in order to have an educated opinion, I have to find all of these lies, which is exactly what this breakdown is. Normally, I wouldn't go through everything and say, here's how CNN lied. I would just say in this article, they lied. Now I'm actually giving you the nitty gritty because this is the important part, uh, the the important piece of of current politics, I guess, how CNN plays games and how they're now asking for money, how they lie and manipulate. So you know what? I'll wrap it up there because I got to be honest, I could rant on the media all day, every day. But if anyone ever asks you, they say Tim Pool's not a journalist. Well, Joe Rogan recently said I was, and that's not like, you know, he's, he's an expert, but I think he understands, and I tremendously respect this, and I'm very grateful. He understands that when I go through news and information, I'm trying to break down and figure out what the truth is. If I see something not true, I'm not going to come out and say it's, 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 it's true. I'm not going to leave out information to try and make a point. I don't care who wins in the end. I don't care which politician wins. I don't care if CNN hires 10 more people, fires 10 more people. I care about what's being said to people is factual. And right now, Elon Musk is digging through the weeds because it's fake news. But people can see this. And that's why trust in media continues to drop down. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Uh, The next segment will be coming up at 6 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastnews. It is a different channel. I'll see you all then. Right now, there are many people protesting their state lockdown orders. The media responds by smearing these people as right-wing crazies. They say Donald Trump's dangerous incitement to violence. Oh, everyone's got to stay locked down. Are you nuts? Here's a funny thing. As soon as they have the opportunity, as soon as these media people think it's safe, they go full fascist. And I don't use that word lightly because, you know, they like to say, oh, Donald Trump is a fascist and all his supporters are fascists. All right, let me ask you a question. If one guy is tweeting liberation, we must go out. We must get back to work. The people should not be restrained. Is that fascist or is that libertarian? What if the people started saying, no, the government has the authority to lock you down? What if they started snitching on you? What if they started writing notes saying you can't have visitors? There have been numerous stories of people calling the cops on neighbors having get togethers. And then you have the press saying, oh, harumph, Donald Trump is wrong. 
Look at this story from TechCrunch. Trump's hype for state lockdown protest puts Twitter and Facebook's new COVID-19 policies to the test. That's right. There are several people, and I'm not entirely sure if this is, uh, they got suspended, they got banned from Twitter. I'm not entirely sure why, so I'm not going to name who they are. But one of the rumors going around is that these high profile figures on the right were banned because they were tweeting about or supporting protests of the lockdown order. Here's what the media won't tell you. First, all of these people writing these stories saying, no, the, the, the lockdown is good. They're at work. You know what that means? It means that they're getting paid. Do they feel the same panic and distress as the person who's been out of work for a month? Do they, do they feel the same panic and distress as the 22 million people who just who lost their jobs or the people who are lining up at food banks? The answer is no. Oh, and I got a great example. See, I tweeted about this. I said, you got to understand all of these writers, if they write a story saying don't reopen the economy or whatever, Trump is wrong. You realize they're getting paid to write that they're at work, probably working from home, getting food delivered, not realizing what's really going on in the rest of the country. Sure enough, I get a bunch of journalists being like, uh, no, I'm at work and I'm worried. It's like, oh, so you're not panicking and in distress. You're at work. You're worried. Of course you're worried. You might lose your job. There's a big difference between might lose your job and lost your job, right? What one includes you having money. The other includes you not having money. See how this works. But all of a sudden we can see just how many fascists really work in media. It's amazing. I'm going to show you something. The social lockdowns failed. All right. I don't necessarily believe that the, that the, the 100% of the reason why these governors now want to reopen things is because it's, you know, it's, it's time people got to get back to work. I think it's because they realized they couldn't stop it. They were losing control. And they said, the best thing we can do is ease up on this because if we do nothing, we will lose total control and everyone will just go out anyway. And then no one will listen to us. Guess what? That's what's happening. Now, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, TechCrunch here, but also The Intercept. Here's what, here's what Robert Mackey, I, n- I normally like The Intercept. He writes, if Trump thinks it's safe for his followers to gather at protests, why won't he attend one? Um, because the president doesn't go to protests, I guess. I mean, you know, interestingly, I'm not sure Barack Obama went to any major rallies or protests or anything like that. But Donald Trump, he, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's spoken at some rallies or at least Mike Pence has, and there have been some historic moments in rallying, I guess. But, but that's besides the point. Why would Donald Trump go to a protest? Donald Trump's advocating for the reopening of the economy and things like that. Why would the president be on the ground protesting? That's the stupidest question I've ever heard. All right. Look at this guy, Theo Keith. He says, pandemonium outside the Minnesota governor's residence. Horns are blaring. A few hundred people are here. Many chant, open up. They try to make it seem like it's all about just right wingers. Wrong. Let me show you. Florida Beach is crowded within 30 minutes of reopening at 5 p.m. Oh, man. Uh Uh-oh. You know, I I can't imagine working in in, in a press industry that is so wrong all the time. Like, how could you, at a certain point, don't you get tired of being wrong? Same thing with the Democrats. They're like, nobody wants to go back to work. They're scared. All these polls are coming out where they're like, Trump is wrong. People don't want the lockdowns lifted. They're scared. They don't want to catch this. Yeah. And then what happens when Florida's like, we're opening the beach. It's crowded with thousands of people within 30 minutes. Look at this. As soon as the state was like, oh, by the way, we're opening the beach. Everybody was like, I'm there, baby. So what about your polls? The polls where everyone's like, no, don't, don't open the economy, Trump. We don't want this. I don't buy it. You know why? Take a look at this tweet from Pete Wilgerin of LA. He's with the, he's a managing, managing editor of Fox LA. 
He says the mayor of LA was just asked about traffic already creeping back into Los Angeles. He's urging people to be safer at home. Here are three of my morning computes, uh, commutes this week, hitting the brakes each day on the 10 freeway. Guess what? Everybody was going out in defiance of the lockdown order. So who's right? You know, it's possible that most people don't want the economy reopened, and we're just seeing the fraction of people who don't care anymore. But I also think it's important to point out that at a certain point, no one listened anymore. And they're like, we're going out anyway. Ain't nothing you can do to stop us. The smartest thing then isn't just to start what mass arresting people. You couldn't do it if you tried. You can prove your illegitimacy by maintaining the no, no one go outside. But sir, everyone's outside anyway. Well, well, you don't go outside. No, I don't think you can do anything to stop me. That's what's happening. So perhaps Trump is right. Perhaps he's wrong. But people are flooding to the streets regardless of whether or not these lockdowns are happening. But the media, look, you do a Google search and you'll find all of these lefty sites dragging these protesters and insulting them. Thousands of Americans answer Trump's call to liberate states from governor's stringent coronavirus lockdowns with mass protest as Floridans flood beaches the minute they are partially reopened. Those, those beachgoers are not protesting anything. They're just going to the beach, man. So the people who came out and protested are the people who want to defend the Constitution. It's kind of funny. How many people on the left have called you, have called me, have called the president a fascist? All these media people I see on Twitter saying things like, we got to stay locked down. You can't go out. These protesters are wrong. Trump is wrong. The government doesn't have the right because of the Constitution to tell you you can't assemble. You can't worship. You can't speak. Freedom of the press, even. If I want to go out and do my thing, yo can't stop me. So who are these people in media now coming out saying they can or they should? I guess they're fascists, right? Take a look at this tweet I put out. It's a, it's a Twitter, Twitter thread I want, I want to read for you. I said the people on Twitter and in media saying not to open the economy have mostly kept their jobs and aren't panicking. Regular Americans who mostly don't use Twitter are in miles long food lines, stressed and desperate. This disconnect is the easiest way to understand why the media is often so wrong. They have isolated themselves from the rest of the country and can't see it. Remember this when you read any story from a news outlet saying not to reopen the economy. The people still writing are at work and don't feel the pressure. Maybe with the media furloughs and the layoffs, we will see opinion change. Now, I believe I am correct, but let me add something to that. The people who are saying not to reopen the economy and the people who are trashing the protesters who want the economy reopened are in that same boat. They are people with jobs. In fact, at some of these protests, like the one in Raleigh where the woman was arrested, there were journalists all around her filming and, and no one said anything to the journalists. Oh, because journalism is an essential activity, but protesting isn't. That's what the cops said. So all these journalists are working, filming this protester as she gets arrested, demanding the economy be reopened. Now, of course, many of these narcissistic media people couldn't help but chime in. One guy even blocked me. It was funny. I don't know if I can actually pull it up because he did. Here we go. So this, see how it says this tweet is unavailable. And my response was LOL. This guy actually blocked me because uh, of what I tweeted. He responded with something like, I work in the media and, you know, I disagree or whatever. I don't know what he wrote. He blocked me. But it was something like that. So I put LOL. Oh, no, no. I remember what he said. He accused me of being part of the media. I think it's, I think it's really funny. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me give you some advice, guys. When you see Cenk Uger of the Young Turks and he tweets that Trump is inciting violence by saying liberate, when you see people in media saying things like don't protest and these people are, you know, dangerous and all that stuff. Remember, they have money. But more importantly, don't listen to people like Cenk Uger, who's 
a millionaire. <laughs> He's got nothing to worry about. And you don't even have to listen to me because I am also well off and still working. But I think it's fair that I point out, not that I'm saying what you should or shouldn't do. Let's, let, let, let me show you something with this tweet. This guy got all mad and accused me. He said, he's like, it's, you know, he said something like it's rich coming from somebody who's a member of the media themselves. It's like, yes, I am absolutely a part of this media industry. Now I don't work for a major corporation. I'm an independent podcaster and political commentator and journalist, whatever you want to call me. But listen, look what I tweeted. I didn't say you should or should not go outside. I didn't say you should or should not protest. I didn't say the economy should be reopened. I said, look at the perspective and the bias. You have people who are out of work, who are not on Twitter. That's a fact. 80% or plus 82% or whatever, or some ridiculous. I think it's 78%. Don't use Twitter. And of that 22 that does, only 2% are frequent tweeters. Everybody else barely tweets anything. So what you're hearing from is a fringe faction of individuals who still are working. I did not say they were right or wrong. I am saying, remember that they are likely not feeling the pressure. They have jobs. And sure enough, I get all of these angry media people being like, hey, man, that's not fair. Oh, Tim, you're wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Dude actually blocked me. Yes, I am a member of the media. I get to work from home. I still get paid. That's why I'm not going to tell you whether or not you should be happy or sad about what's going on. I don't know. I'm not lining up at a food bank to get food. I'll tell you what, though. There are people who are. The lines stretch miles long. There's 22 million people out of work. And if the economy doesn't restart, then more people will suffer. Andrew Cuomo said it. And of course, Dr. Phil said it. But guess who got dragged for it? Well, Dr. Phil went on Fox News. They tore him apart. Andrew Cuomo is America's president, says Alyssa Milano. So they ignore it when he says it. We are seeing many governors now trying to get uh, to start the process of reopening the economy. New York is doing it. I'm not even advocating for that. I'm simply telling you that these people have jobs. And so you know what their bias is going to be? They're going to be sitting in their their apartment in New York City. They're going to be ordering takeout off Grubhub. And they're going to be sitting there saying like, things aren't so bad. People shouldn't be protesting. Who are these protesters? Maybe the protesters are people whose company shut down and they had to laugh a bunch of their employees. Maybe the protesters are some of those employees who lost their jobs. Maybe the protesters are people who still have the opportunity to work, but have seen their friends and family impacted by this. Maybe it's a regular person whose job wasn't impacted, but they saw in the news that 22 million people are unemployed and they're worried what comes next. So I tweeted, uh, here's another tweet. I'm sorry, that's just my LOL. This guy, Matt Baker, responded and perfectly exemplified everything I said. They just don't get it, man. I'll tell you what. I would recommend not listening to anybody. Don't listen to me. And I mean, what I mean by that is like, listen to what people have to say, but decide for yourself whether they're right or wrong. Don't just blindly trust anybody. And that includes me because I'm sure there's a ton of stuff I don't get either. But look at what I said. All right. I think what I said was fairly apt and non-offensive. Wasn't supposed to offend anybody. I was pointing out that people who are working are the, the, the articles you're seeing are being written by people who have a paycheck. Here's what this guy, Matt Baker, said. So Matt Baker, I believe he is a college football reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. Well, here's the here's the struggle with Matt. There's no sports right now. So I don't know what he's going to be writing about. So he's probably feeling some pressure. Take a look at what he said. In response to my tweet, he said, hi, media person here. Some of my colleagues uh, here have been furloughed. My colleagues at other news outlets are being furloughed. Our 10% pay cut went into effect a few weeks ago. 
And what happens in the coming weeks keeps me awake at night. Just thought you should know. Thank you, Matt, for perfectly exemplifying everything I said. I find it, I find it kind of funny. Listen, what did he respond to? I said, maybe with the media furloughs and layoffs, we will see opinion change. And what does he respond with? Just thought you should know that my colleagues are being furloughed and we're getting pay cuts. Yes. And now you're telling me that it's keeping you awake at night, right? I literally said that's, you know, maybe that's what we will see. As more and more journalists lose their jobs, we will see opinions change. That was the point. Bravo, sir. You figured it out. See, Vox.com furloughed like 100 people. Media companies are starting to hurt. But they weren't the first in line when jobs started shutting down. The service industry was. So it's no surprise that we still, to this day, see journalists advocating for things to stay locked down. And we do, because those people aren't scared. Maybe you can be scared peripherally, or, you know, like, oh no, my friend lost their job. What will they do? Oh, I got a pay cut, a 10% pay cut compared to someone who a month and a half ago was fired from their job, was laid off, and is now standing in a food bank wondering whether they're not whether or not they're going to eat. You see the difference, but you know, here, somebody actually responded to this guy. I don't know if I, if, if I had the tweet pulled up. Let me show you. Let me show you some of the responses. This guy, Lawrence says 22 million Americans lost their job. And this bright guy has to make sure that we all know his pay was cut by 10%. Dear sir, should I send you the definition of disconnect? There is a 90% difference between you and 22 million, 20, uh, 22 millions. I am sure you sleep just fine. He responded with all due respect. You missed my point. My best friend's dad was laid off. Another good friend's mom was laid off. I fear for my job. Just because I haven't been laid off yet doesn't mean I won't be. I'm grateful for what I have, but it's foolish to think I don't understand. You, you, you don't. I literally tweeted that as the media gets laid off and sees furloughs, their opinions will start changing. And what does he say? He's a media person. His friends are getting furloughed and laid off. He got a pay cut. Now he's starting to get worried. You see how it works, right? When the industry was isolated for quite some time, people were fine with things. They were like, maybe it's the right thing to do. Now everything's falling apart around them. And they're like, oh, no, now I fear for my job. Yes, that's quite literally the point. So let, let, let me show you what the media does. All right, I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm just going for this because while I talk about the media and the protests and the lockdown, it's not just about these journalists who are saying you shouldn't lock things down. It's about the exploitation of companies like CNN. Now, it is true that I have brought this subject up quite a bit. It needs to be brought up 100%. Because while you have these journalists who are, many of them, unaffected, now starting to get affected and starting to get scared, you have people at CNN uh, outright lying about what's going on. There was a a tweet. I don't know if I have it pulled up. uh, CNN is still pretending Cuomo is isolated or quarantined. So people are actually asking, like, whoa, wait, what happened? Here's Oliver Darcy of CNN. He's sitting here in this, you know, whatever this is at home thing. Oh, there's Cuomo in his basement again. And the, and of course, Oliver's complaining about Fox News. Haha, ha, it's so funny. Is that all you got, dude? I can rag on all of the media companies and all these journalists. And the only thing you ever do is complain about Fox News. Right. Well, anyway, you can see Chris Cuomo in his basement. But as most of us now know, Chris Cuomo is lying. CNN is lying. He is not isolated. He is not quarantined. We have this story. Cuomo said, I'm scared by this. I can't get out of the basement, he said Monday. Uh, yeah, except he was seen by with, with two women, three kids playing around on a property with no, in, with no structure. 
It was a property they owned where they were building something. So they weren't at someone's house. They weren't at a restaurant. They were out in public. Some dude saw him. Some guy on his bike said, is that Chris Cuomo? Isn't he supposed to be quarantined? No, he wasn't. The reason why I'm showing you this in this context is for one, oh, I would I love to point out how much the media lies. It's all they do. Yet you have all of these journalists arguing that we should remain locked down. You have CNN saying, you know, Dr. Drew, Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil blasted for COVID comments. And they put Dr. Phil in quotation marks. Dr. Phil has a PhD. Like, that makes him a doctor. I don't, know, I don't know why people, they put him in quotes. They're ragging on these people for saying that we need to reopen things. Isn't it funny that CNN is taking the high, is, is riding up on a high horse saying like, these people, oh, Dr. Phil, they can't say we got to open the economy. Guess who's not locked down? Chris Cuomo. He's talking about how he's sick and he's got a fever and oh, he's got the coronavirus. And we, you know, he's complained about these people who want to reopen the economy. And then he goes out with his family in full defiance of the coronavirus lockdown isolation orders and perpetuates the lie on CNN. The fascists really, really come out, don't, don't, don't they, right? People like Chris Cuomo, people like at CNN who would say, don't go out, don't listen to Trump. These protests are bad or whatever. Yet they themselves will break all the rules. Chris Cuomo is worth millions of dollars. He's got Hamptons properties. I'm not going to listen to what this guy has to say because he's lying. I said, why are you guys still pretending Cuomo is isolated? Have I missed your apology or correction? Here is a dude. He used to, this is a ex New York Times Mashable. Uh, I, he's the uh, editor in chief at Cheddar, Jim Roberts. He tweets coronavirus update with tacit approval of Donald Trump. Texas protesters plan you can't close America rally. Rally will violate GOP governor stay at home order. Huh? State police say they will take appropriate enforcement actions. You mean to tell me these protesters are also protesting the Republican governor lockdown orders and that Trump is in defiance by supporting these people with the Republican governors? Sounds an awful lot like Trump is not a fascist. He says Jackson, Jacksonville Beach packed even as Florida coronavirus death toll hits record because the people don't want to be locked up. And these journalists that are coming out and either pretending that they are like CNN or saying that we should be, these are people who have money right now. But I'll tell you what, it's not about protests. The protests are a lie. They're pro- the, the, protests are, the, the protests are real. They exist. But what I, the lie is these media companies acting like they're outraged about it. No, you're not. Because the LA freeway was jammed with tons of people. And it's been tweeted about quite a bit, but no one's saying, what are these morons doing? It's the protesters. Now, I think it was Ben Shapiro who tweeted something like the protesters should at least wear masks and social distance. Well, in Michigan, they did that. They were in their cars. Not everyone did. He's right, though. You probably should. People lined up in their cars, created a traffic jam. And that was a clever way of maintaining social distancing and, and, and keeping your doors and everything, uh, windows rolled up and, uh, and protesting. So right now, I'll tell you what. Donald Trump says people want to get back to work. I'm willing to bet he's right. I'm willing to bet the polls are wrong. But it could just be that most of the people who are saying we don't want things to reopen don't want to go outside. And if 20% of the people, 30% of the people do want things to reopen, they're going to go outside. Then you're going to see the beaches packed. You're going to see protests. You're going to see people driving on the freeway. No one's going to care about your rules anymore because you can't arrest everyone. And that's the end of it. It doesn't matter what you think should, should happen. It matters what the people will do. And the journalists can screech and cry all day and night. 
But if the people just defy these orders, well, too bad. You can't stop them. Just the way it is. You can try. It won't work. We'll see how things play out. I'll uh, stick around. The next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. CNN host Brian Stelter published his weekly newsletter in which he states that he crawled into his bed and he cried for our pre-pandemic lives. I will read this, but I think this is another example of CNN's complete BS performative fake news trash that needs to be called out. First, I would love to scream this from the high heavens in every video I do. Chris Cuomo is not under quarantine or isolation. And if he is, he's broken it already and admitted to it. Yet CNN is still running these nightly segments where they're like, Chris Cuomo is quarantined. He admitted he was off on some second you know, family property where they're building his new home or something with two women and three kids. I'm going to say it as many times as I can. I want to make sure everybody knows CNN's running primetime segments that are completely fake. Now, I reached out to Brian Stelter. I asked him about it. He hasn't gotten back to me. Maybe I, it's not, I don't, I don't want to make it seem like he's not going to get back to me, but uh, maybe he just didn't have enough time. Although I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption he's not going to respond to me when I asked him, has CNN come out and admitted that Chris Cuomo has broken or violated isolation and quarantine so far? Because he's been doing these segments where I'm like, oh, I'm trapped in this basement. Right now, we are seeing CNN drive the orange man bad narrative to such an extreme degree. This past week, they literally took a press release from the Chinese Communist Party and rewrote, like, I don't want to say they even rewrote it. They just published it near verbatim. And it was saying that the U.S. Navy was doing bad and that the, the, the People's Liberation Army was doing better. Why would they run this story? Now, to be fair, they did say the source was the People's Liberation Army. But why is CNN platforming the Chinese Communist Party? Hey, that's beyond me. I would, if I could make an assumption, it's because CNN just drives the, no matter what happens, Trump is wrong narrative. And it proves Trump right every step of the way because Trump rags on the media. Certainly Trump can't be wrong about everything that would be insane. And then you get Jim Acosta standing up screeching and it makes all journalists look bad. I saw a thread from a local journalist lamenting the fact that she had been laid off. And it was a bummer, man, because these are local journalists who are actually talking to community members. Maybe they're biased. Maybe they're not much better. But at the local level, we do need journalism more than ever. What do we not need? We certainly don't need Brian Stelter writing newsletters about how he's crying. And then later on, they do this Fox News bad segment. It's all they do. It's not all they do, but they do it too much. They want to talk about the media and they act like these doctors coming on Fox News is, is a, the apocalypse. Why? Because the doctors said we should reopen the economy. Here's the funny thing. They had on like Dr. Drew and they had on a couple other doctors who have said before that like things weren't that bad. Oh, it's not that bad. It's bad flu. Well, now Fareed Zakaria of CNN has just tweeted out the mortality rates actually 0.12% to possibly 0.2%. You know what that means? Its mortality rate is akin to the flu. And that's Fareed Zakaria tweeting that out. It's from a peer-reviewed study out of, I think, Santa Clara. We'll take a look at this. This is, uh, it's very interesting information and important information. You know, it's not important. I'll be completely honest. Me complaining about the media and the media complaining about Trump. I, I don't think any of this is the most important thing. It's probably more important. We track what's going on with the economy and the food banks. So you know what? I'm going to do my thing. Let's read this. And then, you know, the, the reason I say that is because, look, man, I'm, I'm not free from criticism and all this. Here I am on YouTube once again, complaining about CNN, complaining about how CNN only complains about Fox News. To be fair to myself, I guess, I do point out the New York Times, the Washington Post, and many, many other outlets. 
The issue I take with CNN is they act like the errors of the New York Times and Vox or BuzzFeed don't exist. They just completely ignore the stuff. Meanwhile, they just put up lies. Chris Cuomo's not in quarantine, or, or at least he broke it. You're going to admit that? So here's Brian Stelter's newsletter. And here's what he writes. Hey, everybody, I missed last night's newsletter deadline for the first time in years. The truth is I hit a wall, gutted by the death toll, disturbed by the government's shortcomings, dismayed by political rhetoric that bears no resemblance to reality. Oh, he must have been reading CNN. Uh, Worried about friends who are losing their jobs and kids who are missing school and senior citizens who are living in fear. I crawled in, in bed and I cried for our pre pandemic lives. I think those tears had been waiting a month to escape. I wanted to share this with you because it feels freeing to do so. Now is not the time for faux invincibility. Journalists are living this and hating this just like everyone else. This brings me to my original idea for a lead story. Yeah, hating what? Hating the pandemic, the crisis, or hating the president? Most of these journalists, he talks about friends losing his job. He's still, he's still working. How many journalists are still working? Many of them are being furloughed. That's right. Ad revenue was the second wave. The first wave of unemployment, uh, the, the loss of revenue, came from the service industry. We said you can't go out and eat because these restaurants couldn't advertise anymore. Then the media industry took a hit. I'm also included in that, but I'm still working as well. We're all getting hit with pay cuts, basically. But the media people are still working. So no, they're not feeling the fear like a regular person would. I think it's funny that Brian Stelter, who's probably particularly wealthy, I don't think he's got like a multi-million dollar salary or anything like that. I'd be willing to, well, I'm not going to speculate on his salary, but he's not making a million bucks. But he's still living really well right now. He's still employed. Maybe he's taking pay cuts. I don't know. But am I going to uh, empathize with a guy who's got a CNN show where he complains all day and night about Fox and Trump, where then he, cl- he and then he then says that he's dismayed by political rhetoric that rhetoric that bears no resemblance resembl- resemblance to reality for which he contributes. Then he crawls into bed and cries about it. You know what, man? I got no sympathy. You know why? We had a guy on uh, a, a doctor talking about we, 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 on the Timcast IRL podcast, and we talked about stoicism. And one of the points that was brought up is that they try to make it seem like and everything is toxic masculinity, like men crying is what you're supposed to do. No, I'll tell you what's supposed to happen. Everyone should be able to control their emotions, because when you're in a crisis, the last thing we need is someone breaking down and crying. And I'll give you a really good example. Brian Stelter says he missed last night's deadline for a newsletter. Well, you know what? I don't value his newsletter. I think it's hyper-partisan trash masquerading as news. At least I'll tell you, look, I think I'm biased and I do opinion commentary. This guy is pretending to be news. So no, I don't value it, but I'll tell you what. To the people who do, it's not my place to say whether or not what he's doing will be the, 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 you know, to large benefit of society in the future. I certainly have my opinions, but that's an opinion, not a fact. For many, for many people, they may find this newsletter valuable. Well, Brian Stelter dropped the ball because instead of doing work, he broke down and cried. That is not helpful to anyone. But uh, let's, let's take a look at some of the, the uh, points he brings up, because I want to show you this. First, he says solidarity. He talks about some very serious things. And I can, I can respect that he's, you know, he talks about the loss of life and all that stuff. As much as you know, we can bicker about who's right, who's wrong, and partisanship and all this stuff. I'm not going to play games and, and, and act like these journalists are happy people are losing their lives. I've seen tweets about, that, about this. Journalists are happy that companies are shutting down. Well, I think there are journalists that feel uh, some kind of catharsis in watching the collapse because they're like, see, I told you Trump was bad. Not that they're really happy that all this is happening. I, w- I don't, I don't want to play those silly games. But I love this one. Local versus national coverage in his newsletter. 
Everything is perfect. Shot. Quote, it's going to be up to the states to use that capability, Trump said Friday uh, uh, in response to the coronavirus testing. The states have local points where they can go and the governor can call the mayors and the mayors can call the representatives and everything is perfect. And that's the way it should work and always should work. And then he puts chaser. The AP's headline says there's no plan in sight. Test troubles cloud Trump's recovery effort. Wait, hold on a second, CNN. You know, this this is the problem I have with CNN. Now, I want to show you what Bill Maher says, basically that this media fear mongering and crying is actually helping Trump. Trump said, we're going to leave it, leave it to the governors. And then they complained that he wasn't using his federal authority or whatever. Then he says he has the authority. Then they complain he doesn't. No matter what he says, they just come out and say it's the opposite. So if Trump comes out, as they show us, shot, saying, you know, the governors are going to have to do this, work with the mayors. They then show the other story saying, but Trump has no plan. Wait, hold on. I thought Trump wasn't supposed to have the plan. I thought it was supposed to be up to the states. Andrew Cuomo wants to reopen things. What are you talking about? We then get this. Fox News keeps inviting TV doctors on air who say crazy things. Oh, they've turned on on Dr. Phil. But I've I've showed you this, so I'm not going to go too in depth with it. But I just want to highlight Here's the newsletter where once again, Oliver Darcy is just obsessed with Fox News. He's basically their Fox News review critic. That's all he does. It's like his his whole job at CNN is to just talk about Fox News. Great job. But he goes on and and he gives us the same tired line. Oh, they're saying nutty things, even though we know, first of all, Trump does have a plan that he, he puts a story out there where he's like, Trump has no plan. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's NBC report on the 16th. Trump's got a three phase plan and he's leaving that for the states because you just told him he didn't have the authority to dictate what the states did. This is the problem with the media. You're not getting a clear picture of anything. Instead, what they're doing is fear mongering. Brian Seltzer pr- produces a newsletter where he says he's crying and curling up in his bed because the mortality rate and the laws of jobs and everything is so bad. Actually, things might be getting better. I mean, there's potentially some good news. I'm not going to pretend like I can tell you whether it's good or bad. It's one of the biggest challenges. As we see miles upon miles of you know, people waiting in lines at food banks, it seems like things are worse than ever. When we look over the data from New York, it seems like actually uh, things might be getting better. There's a lot. It, it's hard to know exactly when things are getting better or worse. And it may just be that some things are getting worse and some things are getting better. We may never get back to normal. But Bill Maher rips the media. And although he may not be directly talking about CNN, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, there are other outlets I can rag on, but CNN's certainly taking the cake because right now they've, they pretend to be news. Hey, look, at least MSNBC, you know, they're biased. You know, Rachel Maddow is very much on the left. CNN is pretending Cuomo's under lockdown when he's not. That is, look, Rachel Maddow can say stupid things all day. I don't care, right? I will criticize her for making people go insane, but she's allowed to have her opinion. We know she's biased. It's MSNBC. If, if she goes on the air and says something stupid about the electricity being shut off in Fargo, I love bringing that up, by the way, then fine. She's allowed to have stupid opinions. But CNN is putting Chris Cuomo on the air and saying he's locked down when he's not. And he's going out and doing stuff with his family. That is fake reality crap. And that's what Brian Stelter is doing. It's performative trash. They're not actually doing journalism. They are doing reality TV. And we all know it. Bill Maher rips the media. Panic, porn, and coronavirus coverage could help reelect Trump. Hey, I've been saying it over and over again. We saw that, uh, uh, that newsletter from an ex-CNN producer where he said he w- if you told him Jim Acosta was actually working for the Trump re-election campaign, he'd believe it because Trump tees up Trump perfect. I- I'm sorry, Acosta tees up Trump perfectly so that Trump can deliver a pointed message about what he's doing and how he's helping America. 
He acts like a caricature of the bad man journalist. And look, look what Brian Seltzer talking about crying and everything. It's the perfect caricature of inept journalism and their hyper focus on Fox News is not real news. It's performative trash. The Hill reports, HBO's Bill Maher ripped the news media on Friday and urged journalists to stop offering up what he described as panic porn when reporting on the coronavirus outbreak, cautioning the practice could help get President Trump reelected in November. Now, I'll tell you this. I have no interest in seeking out stories that are shock content. I'm talking about things I think are important. Perhaps the stories tend to be negative or shocking, but I'll be sincere and say they're just stories that I think are interesting and I want to talk about. But it is true that many in the media ignore the good news. And same criticism can be used for me as well. You know, I probably ignore certain more positive stories. Everybody seems to do so uh, to varying degrees. But I will add, Bill Maher is saying don't do it because it might help Trump. Okay, well, that's where we diverge. See, I don't care if Trump wins. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. That's for you to decide. And if Trump ends up winning, well, then that's the fault of the Democrats and the media if that's what ends up happening. And I'll tell you this, there are things I don't like about him, things I like about him, but there's things I really don't like about Joe Biden and Joe Biden's lost the plot. If the Democrats are going to keep trying to carry water for China, then you're not going to see me very interested in supporting any of these companies, institutions, or their partners in the Democratic Party. But at the, but at the end of all of this, look, man, if I tell a story and it, I, I remember I did a segment where I was like, the more you rag on AOC, the more, you, the more attention you're giving her, the more likely she is to get reelected. I had a bunch of people mess, like comment being like, then stop talking about her, Tim. And I'm like, well, I don't care if she gets reelected. You know, I'm, I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. If she does something I think is stupid, I'll criticize her. That's what it's all about. And if it helps her in the long run, I, I'm just going to tell you what I think is how I feel. But let's read the story. Bill Maher says, new rule. Now that we're starting to see some hope in all this, don't hope shame me, the liberal real-time host said. You know the problem with nonstop gloom and doom is it gives Trump the chance to play the optimist, and optimists tend to win American elections. FDR said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, as, as full of S as he is, I could see Trump riding that into a second term, and then there will be no hope left for you to shame. So who cares if Trump gets another term? He's already your president. Calm down. It's four years. You know, you know how many years we, we, we're, we, we live on this planet for what, like 80 to 100 years? You got four more. Stop crying about it. Come up with the real plan and then run somebody in 2024. Maybe it'll be Andrew Cuomo. But if you keep doing it this way, man, no one's going to want to vote for you. Mar underscored his point while displaying multiple headlines from several news organizations, including the New York Times and the Washington Post, which he argued used hyperbolic language regarding hospital surge in New York City. Projections, projections showed they needed 58,000 beds when they needed a quarter of that, Mar noted. It's still bad, but you don't have to put hot sauce on a jalapeno. Dude, I, I do like uh, Bill Maher. But you know what I would like more, Bill? Why don't you now say Donald Trump was right? Oh, okay. Bill Maher doesn't want Trump to get reelected, so he will omit the important facts. You can hate Trump all you want, but if he was right, he was right. Donald Trump said, you don't need 40,000 ventilators. Chris, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo said, yes, I do. And then he started stockpiling. The, he hit a bunch in a stockpile he wasn't yet using that they probably, you know, I think they used a, a, a much of them, ended up not needing them. So yes, why was the media just pushing this fake narrative to make it seem like the world was ending? So look, if this insanity happens again, news sources have to rein it in, he added. Enough with the life will never be the same headlines. And stop showing us this, you know, everything looks scary when you magnify it a thousand times. 
We need the news to calm down and treat us like adults. Trump calls you fake news. Don't make him be right. Oh, Bill, you got so close to saying Trump is right. He is. They're fake news. Do I think Brian Stelter actually crawled into his bed and cried? No, I don't. I mean, maybe he did. I'd give it a low probability chance he actually cried. He's probably just nothing to write about. Listen, I do segments every single day. In a typical news cycle, I can get everything done relatively quickly because there's so much happening in different areas. Sometimes, you know, I did a segment a couple days ago talking about, you know, war with Iran and, you know, and China, the South China Sea. I've done segments talking about video games and movies over on the podcast. We talked about China banning video games. And on my main channel, I talk big on politics. There's always something to talk about and there's news. But I'll tell you what, because of the pandemic and everything being shut down, not a whole lot is happening outside of this. And there isn't that much to actually write about. You want to know what I think? I think the reason Brian Seltzer missed his deadline is because he had nothing to say. So what does he do? He writes about how he cried. Yeah, okay, dude. And then he talks about Fox News being bad. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, I think we're over it. Bill, uh, the story goes on. The commentary comes as the president in the White House Coronavirus Task Force this week unveiled a three-phase plan for reopening the economy. Trump has appeared eager to reopen the country amid skyrocketing unemployment due to thousands of businesses being forced to close amid the virus. More than 22 million Americans have filed for benefits. The U.S. death toll currently stands at 31,456, according to data from John Hopkins University. I would like for Bill Maher just to admit it. You did a segment saying that the New York Times and the Washington Post are just trying to make you panic. You realize there are viral videos of people yelling at the news media saying that the media is just trying to do this. I've been accused of it too. Hey man, I am absolutely willing to accept all of the criticism. I'm not perfect. I'll tell you the difference between me and the media and these big companies. I don't have an, an editorial board meeting in the morning where I'm like, these stories aren't scary enough. Change the headline. I just do what I think and I write what I think. And some people think I write clickbaity headlines and it's probably fair. I don't think I'm nearly as egregious as CNN or many, many, many of these other outlets. But of course, there are many people who like CNN and hate my guts. So I'll just do my thing. If you want to criticize me, I, I accept it and I try to, to do better. I try to call this stuff out to the best of my abilities. But the honest, to be honest, I just talk about what I'm seeing and what I think. I'm just one person. I see stories and I'm like, oh, hey, that's interesting. I have some help. But uh, for the most part, I just kind of rant. I don't have a script. I see a story. I'll read it. I'll talk about it. The media over at Fox News on the other, uh, I'm sorry, the the media over at CNN, and and yes, to a degree, Fox News, they just put out performative trash. They want you to be scared. They want you to see this world that doesn't exist. Look at this, Cuomo primetime. He says something about they steering, you know, steering money through banks, blah, blah, blah. Don't care. There's him in his basement. He's not really under quarantine. I would never do something like that. They're trying to make you see this reality TV nonsense. They've admitted it. Ben Smith at the New York Times wrote about it. Jeff Zucker didn't used to, CNN wouldn't allow Chris Cuomo to talk to his brother, Andrew, or interview him because he was the governor's a conflict of interest. They broke the barrier and say, hey man, family drama. And then what do you get? Primetime CNN. He's like, mom thinks I'm the favorite son. <laughs> well, that's not true, brother. Yeah, it's reality TV performance, performative nonsense. That's what they give you. They give you trash. Oliver Darcy, of course, just talks nonstop about Fox News. As I told Chris Cuomo, I'd be alarmed if a member of my family were sharing the sort of misinformation. But the fact that these TV doctors are going on Fox News amid a pandemic and sharing this stuff is quite frankly nuts. You know, I think it's nuts, Oliver, that your network is still pretending Chris Cuomo is under isolation or quarantine. And when I ask you guys about it, you don't say anything. Oh, it's because you guys are lying. <laughs> and that how it works, huh? So my, my shout out to Bill Maher. Here's something funny I love, though. Check this out. 
Brian Seltzer actually retweeted the person like, this is an honest account was refreshing to read this morning. Thank you, Brian, for that. It's a good reminder. It's okay not to be okay. And Brian Seltzer retweeted this woman who highlighted that he curled into his bed and started crying. This is not journalism. Okay. I used to do substantial, like for like exclusively journalism. And over time, I slowly moved more into political commentary. It's actually a common track for many journalists. You can actually find that there are many journalists who used to do straight facts and news and over time eventually shifted to more commentary and analysis. For me, it mostly has to do with the the higher profile I became, the more risky it became to actually be on the ground. And so it was actually hard to start traveling around. So I expanded into the other area, which is more opinion commentary stuff. Why? Because I have a lot of opinions and I have a lot of things to say. Like many people, it seems to be a normal track. What CNN is doing right now is trying to claim that they're journalists while they're retweeting Brian Stelter cried. That's not news. You're not the story. When I would go on the ground and do and and report, it was never uh, supposed to be about here's me interacting. You know, it's it's like you can like Hunter S. Thompson and you can you can like immersive interactive journalism. You can like Verite stuff. I've done that too, where I go down and I'm, I'm the host of the story talking about my experience and conveying that to you. But there's a big difference between me being on the ground and saying like, here I am and here's what I'm seeing and me joining a group of people to do a thing. That's something else. And again, some people like Hunter S. Thompson going with the Hells Angels and doing drugs and doing all that stuff and writing about it, being very much involved in the story. But it's not journalism. Journalists aren't supposed to be the subjects to, to an extent, right? So I'll clarify. If I, what I really love about documentary and on the ground reporting, I love it when there's a host who tells you, here's what I see. Here's what I experience because they're conveying to you an objective perspective on something happening on the ground. That's very different from say an unhosted documentary where it's footage of the event with an overview of facts. There's many different ways you can do it. But a journalist who goes on the ground and is is exploring and interviewing people and telling you how they, how they feel about it. Is, to an, is, is, is encroaching on that line. But it's not the same as if the journalist joined in the protest and, then, and started explaining it to you. It would be more like if you, if you saw a documentary where the leader of the protest was the one hosting the show. That's not journalism. I mean, the journalism is a documentary, but the person talking to you is a part of what's happening. Not, they're, they're not a journalist. If Brian Stelter, Oliver Darcy, and the rest of the CNN crew, you know, like we got uh, S.E. Cup saying Trump is a virus, they are making themselves the story. Brian Stelter saying he crawled into bed to cry is him creating a story with him at the center. All right. You're not going to get from me on these channels, for the most part, me saying, you know, guys, I cried. I do very so often have stories that are about me. A, few, uh, a week or two ago, I did a story where, where I said Trump is talking about quarantining these states. What should I do? Much more personal, much more about me and what's going on. But I tend not to do these things. I don't like talking about what's going on in my life. I'll passively do it. Now, if you go over to the other podcast, Timcast IRL, oh, definitely. That's, that's you know, much more personal, much, much more just conversational. But you shouldn't be getting that from CNN. Now, Bill Maher is right. The, the panic stuff is, is over the top. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll try to do better. I don't know if I'm the worst or the best. I think it's important to take the criticism to heart and see if I can do better. But I certainly think, look, if I see a story where it looks like, you know, it's, it's, things are going south, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to pretend like it's not happening. But I will, I, will, I will wrap this up with one more point. If you want to, to actually heal this country and do better, you can't make yourself the subject of the story. 
So my advice to CNN, which they wouldn't take because they're just reality TV trash, don't write about you crawling into bed crying and talk about something other than Fox News. Criticize other media. Yeah, other things exist. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at youtube.com slash Timcast. It is my main channel, and I will see you all then. As I've stated before, the crisis we face is not just one of the virus, but what comes around it. And due to the economic shutdown, the food industry and supply chains are being disrupted. And now we are seeing more food riots. First, we saw them in Sicily, but not because the food wasn't there, because the ferries that brought the food to, the, to Sicily stopped, stopped running. The companies went out of business, so the food stopped coming. People ran out of money because they lost their jobs, and then people had to steal the food. Well, now we're seeing virus triggers unrest across Africa. Riots break out in Johannesburg over food shortages, and Lesotho's under fire PM deploys army to restore order as continent's death toll reaches 1,000. I got to be fair. I got to point this out. Look, I mean, no disrespect to these countries, but when I first saw the story about food rioting in Johannesburg, I wondered if it had anything to do with the coronavirus. They've long been facing serious conundrums and strife over farmland, as well as other countries as well. We're hearing that the army's being deployed in Lesotho and Nigeria's chief of staff has died. So look, is, it, is the U.S. going to face food riots? I'm going to go ahead and say, at least for now, we are, I would assume, kind of far away. In fact, new data is coming out that suggests the mortality rate for COVID might be a lot less than they actually projected. They may have got things wrong, or at least we just didn't know, because now they're saying it could be like 0.12 or 0.2, which is comparable to the flu. It doesn't change the fact that there are serious complications and that people are, are, are dying, but it's certainly not as bad as they thought it was. But over in South Africa, the food riots have begun. Let's read the story from the Daily Mail. They say, unrest has erupted, has spread across Africa with riots over food shortages and an army being deployed to restore order as the coronavirus crisis rocks the continent. Protests have erupted in Cape Town. The military have been mobilized in Lesotho and the chief of staff to the Nigerian government died of, a, of the lethal bug. Afri Africa now has more than 1,000 deaths from COVID-19, the Africa, Africa CDC and prevention said Saturday. A total of 52 of Africa's 54 countries have reported cases of the deadly virus, with the overall number of cases more than 19,800. Now, interestingly, there's a lot less people dying and getting infected in the entire continent of Africa, which says to me they're probably just not, they're probably not testing. So we don't know how many people are actually dying or what's really going on, but they are locking things down and it is resulting in food shortages. We can see the army being deployed in Lesotho. So if, if you're not familiar Lesotho is an enclave country completely surrounded by South Africa. But in this area, well, things are getting bad. Check it out. They say in Cape Town, people have broken into tuck shops and attacked each other and police because they are hungry. One resident claimed Joni Fredericks, a community community leader in Mitchell's Plain Township in Cape Town, said in a viral clip, Mr. President, we are in the middle of a food crisis. It's war out here. The desperate plea was made in a video posted on social media to President Cyril Ramaphosa, who imposed a five-week lockdown to try and curb the spread of the coronavirus. Four weeks into a 35-day shutdown, poor communities, communities are facing food shortages as incomes for mostly informal workers have dried up. Imposed from March 27th, the lockdown has placed already cash-strapped citizens under further strain. The number of people lining up for food at the self-funded scheme run by Fredericks and other volunteers are growing by the day. 
when we started out feeding people, we started out with very with the very vulnerable, the children, the disabled, the pensioners. But we are way past that, Mr. President. We are past the stage of sending people away. An emotional Frederick's pleaded. We are seeing people get turned away or almost. We are seeing lines stretching miles of cars and people needing food in the United States. There are a lot of differences between South Africa and the United States. So let me just make that clear. I really don't think we're that close. Well, you know, it's probably not my place to say whether we're on the verge of food riots or not, because we've already seen chaos erupt at one food bank when people weren't pre-registered, so they couldn't get food. With 22 million people now unemployed or filing claims, people are going to go without food. The food banks are starting to be strained. The food isn't coming. They're running out. And the small business loans that were, are, are dried up and the Democrats didn't want to increase the number. So maybe we're closer than we realize. With that being said, I'll do something I don't normally do, but actually I'm really excited about this. This is a promo spot for supereasyseeds.com. It absolutely supports my channel when you go and check them out and buy. But this is actually a really cool thing. There's very, very few things I actually like promoting. But this is something called a seed sheet, supereasyseeds.com, link in the description below. You just get these little sheets and you water them and then the vegetables grow. It's kind of cool. So they, they, they do brag about being a shark tank winner. Now, the first thing I'm going to say is while I have promoted emergency food in the past, I am not advocating or, or, or doing this promo spot because I think you're going to need emergency parsley, cilantro or, or basil if food rights start. But uh, I think it's pretty cool. They actually have like a salad version and they have uh, herbs. And the way it works is basically you get these these sheets. You just put them in this, these little, uh, these, it's like a, a cloth pot of some sort. You water it and they grow. I happen to think it's pretty cool. If, uh, if it's not for you, then just ignore this. But again, it's in the description below. And it's mostly about like spices and I guess like salad vegetables. I, I got some. I'm excited for it. And I, uh, I will just end by saying I'm grateful to have sponsors in these trying times. A lot of media companies are getting hurt really, really bad by this. So I hope you understand why I don't often do sponsor spots and why I'm doing them now. But I am uh, legit excited for super easy seeds. I actually have some. So that being said, let's jump back over to the story about what's going on. We can see these photos. Police are frisking people and searching people. We can see they've, uh, this is a uh, so I don't know if this photo is pictured. A South African National Defense Force soldier patrols the streets in Hillbro, Johannesburg. So I, I know I just did that promo for the growing vegetables in your house stuff. I, I, I do think it's cool. But I want to just make sure I really drive the point home. I, I don't think the U.S. is going to be anywhere near where South Africa is for, uh, South Africa is for quite some time. So I want to I I just, just say that. When I first saw the story, I'm sure most of you agreed when you're like, wait a minute, South Africa? No, they're probably dealing with food shortages because of other problems with their country. We've seen this happen in many places where the government wants to seize farms for some kind of ideological reparation. In socialist countries, it's because the landlords aren't, you know, real workers and the people should own the farms. The problem is the people who own the farms, the farmers know how to farm and the workers, well, they don't. I mean, they know how to farm within, to, a certain, to a certain extent, but there's no oversight. So in many of these socialist countries, they're like, we're going to seize the land from the landlords and give it to the people. And then the people can't farm properly, and then everything falls apart, and then people starve. In South Africa and other countries, these land changes are due to racial tensions. So it's not so much about socialism, but about like whether a certain race deserves it or doesn't. This results in the same thing. People who can't farm can't just be given a farm. It doesn't work that way. 
It's similar to what they say in the US, like, why don't we just put homeless people in houses because they can't maintain them? That, with, that, with that in mind, I know it's probably not the, the core reason why the food shortages are happening. It's a, it's a five-week lockdown and people have, have no money anymore. But it definitely plays a role. And that's why even though we've been under a lockdown, I believe we've been under lockdown longer, we aren't facing the same kind of shortages. Now, we are facing shortages for sure, like major food banks, milk is being dumped. So perhaps it's naive of me. Perhaps it's my American privilege that I think we're not going to be you know, in a similar position. Just knowing the history of South Africa, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe they've been worse off, worse off than us for a while. But perhaps that's hubris. And perhaps I, it's wrong of me to tell you whether or not you should or shouldn't be preparing for this stuff. I mean, I've said before, you definitely should have emergency food because who knows what's going to happen. You think it can't happen here because of the problems of South Africa. I mean, maybe you'll be surprised because, I mean, it can. We've got people lining up at food banks. The economy is shut down. With the Democrats not pushing this increase in the budget, we're now looking, at least I think, in the next week, we're going to see another massive wave of, you know, five to seven million unemployment claims. Probably not seven, because I think the most we've seen so far is like six. So it's probably going to be around five, maybe, maybe you know, four point something. It was like 5.2 recently. But with, with, with no more money left for the Paycheck Protection Program, again, because the Democrats didn't want to increase it, I think it's, it's likely we will see a major increase in unemployment claims. When these people can't buy food, what do you think happens? The supply chain is disrupted because processing plants stop buying. So they're not buying from the farms. The farms aren't selling. The jobs start evaporating. They start firing workers. They can't just bring that back. The food banks run out of food. And then what do you think people do when they get hungry? Well, like we've seen in Sicily and like we see now in South Africa and Lesotho and potentially other countries, well, people go and take the food and, and, and there's, not, there's, there's little you can do to stop them. Now, of course, there are people with guns who will work to stop them. But look, enough people, and it, it doesn't matter how many cops or National Guard you have, if there's 5,000 people in front of a Walmart screaming and demanding food, I don't want to tell you, man, because we've seen these lines. They're in the hundreds to thousands of people. Now, I don't know if things are getting better or worse. Um, I don't want to make overly sensational content where it's like, the end is nigh. Oh. So I've contemplated whether or not it would be right or wrong you know, to, to leave out certain things. But I'll, I'll put it this way. I have some other stories here I'm not going to get into because they sound more shocking and alarming. This is certainly worrying. But we're also seeing the number of cases go down. And the next segment I have for you is actually a study showing that the, the mortality rate is ridiculously low compared to what they projected. You know, internationally, we've seen from like 1.7 to like 3.4. And now it looks like, according to one study in the US, it's like 0.12. You know what that means? Comparable to the flu. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for the next segment. So stick around. The next segment is coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. A new peer-reviewed antibody study shows the coronavirus infection rate could be 50 to 80 times more widespread than previously believed, dropping the mortality rate to a microscopic 0.12, potentially 0.2. While that is still higher than the common flu, it is, well, comparable. At 0.2, it's around twice as lethal as, as your typical flu. So it's still bad. And there's a few things that should be pointed out. Hospitalization still remains high, presumably higher than we expect for the flu. But when you factor in these antibody, this antibody test showing that more people have this than we realize, the percentage shifts dramatically. Now, here's the scary thing. I'm not going to tell you what's true and what isn't. But if this study is to be believed, and we do need more, 
It stands to reason we shouldn't have shut anything down. Now, the weird thing is where all these deaths coming from, people are still dying a lot, substantially more than normal, which is why I don't believe this study is accurate. What you need to understand about any survey study or, you know, control group, whatever, is that static and noise exist. This is why I don't like using single polls for the president's approval. I like using the aggregate. You'll see like five polls all say Trump has 50% approval, and then one will appear saying it's at 80. Yeah, well, that could be statistical noise based on their, their a sample being, you know, good or bad. So in which case, you actually want to average them out, get rid of the noise. We have one study so far, and of course, people are jumping at it saying, boom, there it is, just like the flu. But this doesn't account for all of the deaths we've seen. In New York City, for instance, deaths are, more, are around double their daily, you know, average. So people are dying from something. If it's not coronavirus, I don't know what it is, and that'd be freaky. But let's read the story and see what they say. The Daily Caller reports, Stanford University research teams released data Friday from the nation's first widespread community test for COVID-19 antibodies, and the results show the virus's spread could be far wider than previously believed. The study, conducted by two research teams who tested 3,300 Santa Clara County, California volunteers, found that 2.5 to 4.2 percent of those tested were positive for antibodies, a number suggesting a far higher past infection rate than the official count. In the, uh, in the county of almost 2 million people, researchers believe the virus could have infected between 48,000 and 81,000 people. On April 1st, when the samples were gathered, the county had 958 reported cases. The study has yet to be peer-reviewed. Okay, so it's yet to be peer-reviewed. No, I think Fareed Zakaria said it was. Pre-peer-reviewed. Okay, so it's not peer-reviewed. All right, all right. So there's a clarification. I want to show you what Fareed Zakaria says too, because, you know, he's CNN. And with all of the ragging on CNN I've done this today in the past several days, I thought it would be good to highlight what they say because it corroborates a conservative outlet like Daily Caller. They said, our findings suggest that there is somewhere between 50 and 80 fold more infections in our country than what's known by the number of cases that are, report- than are reported by our Department of Public Health. Stanford Associate Professor of Medicine and study leader, Dr. Aaron Ben David, told ABC News anchor Diane Sawyer in an interview. Ben David pointed out that even an over 4% infection rate means the vast majority of people have not been infected with the virus, calling the decision to reopen the U.S. economy a very difficult choice. But if the mortality rate is that low, well, then we're dealing with the flu? I don't know. Ben David pointed out, all right, I read that. We have good confidence that we're getting, a re- we're getting reliable information on the population, he said. And that can be done because we know what proportion of the people who are positive. Uh, we know what proportion of the people who are positive were missing using this test. Researchers reportedly set up three drive through sites around the country and took finger pricks of blood from volunteers who were recruited using targeted online advertising. The ABC News report included a cautionary word from epidemiologist Dr. John, Dr. John Brownstein who noted that online ads used to recruit subjects could skew the pool and that one county isn't necessarily representative of the rest of the U.S. population. However, Brownstein said the research adds to this confirmation of what we've expected, which is a large number of cases that uh, that we never anticipated. There has been wide recognition that we were undercounting infections because of a lack of testing or patients were asymptomatic, Brownstein told the outlet. Meanwhile, a smaller sample of 374 tests administered in Johnson County, Kansas, showed a 3.8% infection rate, a result on the upper end of the Stanford study numbers. It looks like we now have two different studies showing 
more people are infected than we realize. And this is significant, Fareed Zakaria says. When in a tweet, first U.S. random sampling of a population was done in Santa Clara County, California last week to find out how many people here have COVID, how many people have COVID, and thus the actual fatality rate. Results of the pre-peer-reviewed study, number of infected are are 50 to 85 times more than currently counted. This infection fatality rate is 0.12 to 0.2, which is much lower than previously assumed. And that is CNN's Fareed Zakaria tweeting it out. I shouldn't have to highlight Fareed Zakaria when I do a video like this. But of course, if I don't, and I don't show you my sources, you will have operatives from angry activist groups trying to claim that I was downplaying these things. In fact, I believe Fareed and the study, they're both wrong. I do believe the infection rate is likely higher. But it do, if, that's, if that's the case, the mortality rate is comparable to the flu. Why are we seeing so many deaths compared to the average of you know, last year? It doesn't add up. It actually makes more sense that the studies, uh, at least the one study was skewed and that it's not accurately showing how many people were truly infected. I mean, look, they're saying they had 900 or so, 950 reported cases, and they believe it could be like 80,000 people actually being infected. He's, uh, Fareed says, this is why we need more testing. Interestingly, another uh, Twitter user verified Vincent Rajkumar. He is the Edward W. and Betty Knight Scripps professor at the Mayo Clinic, editor, blood and cancer, etc. He says, come on, you cannot look at those numbers in isolation. This is not what many other studies find. The math doesn't add up. This is not what happened in Diamond Princess. I would be very careful saying mortality is that low. I don't think it is. And he brings up a really great point. You know, I would love to take this study and say, I think the mortality is low, but I really don't. The Diamond Princess saw massive, uh, uh, you know, uh, really high mortality. And these other isolated places, we've seen this spread and it gets bad and people get put on ventilators. Krishna Stayhom Komenduri, who is Chief Division of Transplantation and Cellular Therapy at the Sylvester uh, Cancer Center, looks like, said, remember that the same logic holds up for the flu. The last two times I got influenza through contact with children with confirmed test positive cases, I wasn't tested and therefore wouldn't have been in the CFR denominator. Most people who have flu aren't tested or listed, seemingly pushing back, saying maybe these numbers are accurate. If, if the amount of deaths are twice what we see from the flu, maybe that explains why we're seeing twice the number of deaths. I don't know if that justifies the lockdown. Maybe it doesn't. Whatever. I'll leave that to you guys to decide. But we are seeing substantially more deaths. So if the mortality rate is 0.2, double the flu, it makes sense. What this dude's basically saying, and, and, and he's right, is that the, all of these people who might get mild symptoms, might get a sniffle, might get a cough, they don't think twice. I mean, I remember a couple of months ago, I was coughing for a day or two. Is it possible that I actually had it? I mean, I really doubt it because I'm kind of a homebody. You may have noticed I'm here all the time. But there's a lot of people who might have had a cough or a sniffle and they ignored it. And it was mild to, 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 to say the least. So they don't get tested. They don't care. And they carry on with their lives. If that's the case and the infection rate's really high, then many of these asymptomatic, look, there's, there's what they were saying in one study, like 50% of people could be asymptomatic, meaning they have no symptoms of this. If those people are spreading it around, then what we need to consider is that some people are going to get sick. Of those people who get sick, 0.2% will die. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, some people will have it. And of those who get infected, 0.2% will die. Then maybe we have to reopen the economy 
And maybe we are spooked by our own shadow a bit too much. Maybe the numbers coming out of China are actually right. I don't, I don't think I'll end up trusting them. But if the mortality rate isn't really that bad, then maybe everything was overhyped. Now, I know there's a lot of conservatives who want to believe this, and they've wanted to believe it for the whole time. So be careful about confirmation bias. We have, one, we have two studies so far, one with a smaller sample size. People have pushed back saying it doesn't really make sense. And I got to say, I don't like using one study. Even two is not necessarily enough. I think it's fair to point out locking down the economy and, and these authoritarian rules may have been a stretch too far. But think about the upside. I mean, look, we, we took a precaution. We were, uh, let's, let's say these numbers are accurate. Then maybe we were, we were too heavy handed. I mean, think about all the other diseases that are going to get severely crippled because we all locked ourselves in our homes. I'm not saying that we should be happy that we destroyed the economy. Not at all. I mean, that's really, really bad. I'm just saying, look, bad things happened. People lost their lives. We decided to lock down. We're going to learn from this. Whatever we learn, we, we can't look back and, and, and regret everything we did because hindsight is 2020. If we now learn it wasn't that bad, that's great. That's great. And there are some positives to look at for everything that happened. I know for the most part, still a net negative, but we can focus on the good. We'll see how things play out. This is one study so far. You got people like CNN's Fried Zakaria uh, pointing this out. So I'm highlighting him on purpose. YouTube's still going to demonetize this. You know how it works, but um, I guess we'll see. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Oh, to the surprise of no one, Donald Trump is dragging Nancy Pelosi again on Twitter. Is he? I think it's on Twitter. Whatever. He went. Yes, he did. Of course. Of course, the president is tweeting at Nancy Pelosi. But uh, I kind of agree with the sentiment. Nancy Pelosi was showing off all her fancy ice creams. And then everybody started saying, you know, let them eat cake because Nancy Pelosi won't increase the small business loan fund so that people can keep their jobs. Let them eat cake. Indeed. The Hill reports Trump attacks Pelosi as political hack over late show appearance. President Trump went after Speaker Pelosi in a tweet late late Friday, attacking the Democratic leader as an incompetent political hack after calling on her to return to Washington as lawmakers wrestle over another coronavirus relief bill. Trump shared a tweet criticizing Pelosi over her appearance on the late show with James Corden earlier this week in the clip. Pelosi shows off a stockpile of ice cream packed in her kitchen freezer in San Francisco, noting this is something you can get through the mail. An incompetent political hack. Come back to Washington and take care of our great American workers, Trump tweeted. And it was actually a Charlie, a Charlie Kirk tweet. He said, Nancy Pelosi sits in her $7.5 million San Francisco home in front of her $24,000 fridges, plural, bragging about her stockpile of $13 a pint gourmet ice cream. All while 22 million Americans file for unemployment and funding for small business runs dry. Shameful. Yes, absolutely shameful. You know, I've got some criticisms for Charlie Kirk, always tweeting with the weird face going like this and saying, you know, let that sink in all that stuff. But he's spot on right now. And when you're right, you're right. Nancy Pelosi should not be flaunting her wealth and laughing on late night TV shows, eating her ice cream. It doesn't look it's 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 not it's not a good look. I don't know if she cares. Fine, whatever. Her constituents don't care. They hate Trump no matter what. So what's the point? A Pelosi spokesman fired back on Saturday, calling on Trump to focus on the pandemic. That's literally what he just told Nancy Pelosi to do. So what is the response from Pelosi? I know you are, but what am I? Come on, please. Instead of trying to distract and divide, the president should focus on the public health crisis in front of him. 
As the speaker wrote to her colleagues last week, the truth is a weak person, a poor leader takes no responsibility. A weak person blames others. Pelosi spokesman Drew Hamill told The Hill, pot, meat, kettle. Also, glass houses throwing stones. You get it? Nancy Pelosi is on this late night show eating ice cream when she could be back in D.C. getting this funding pushed through. And instead, she complains about what Trump is doing. And her complaint is that Trump is complaining about what she is doing. You know what? They all deserve each other. But, but I, I got to be fair, man. Donald Trump isn't Congress. He can't snap his fingers and make this budget increase go through. So you can see why I have disdain for these Democrats. Let them eat cake. Take a look at this tweet. I love this. I tweeted this out. Apparently people like it. Nancy Pelosi tweeted, we all have our ways to keep our spirits up during these trying times. Mine just happens to fill up my freezer. Ha 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 ha. And then she has this ice cream. She has dove ice cream. She's got this, this is gelato. Ooh, it's fancy. Okay, they're not really that expensive. I don't know what this Jenny's, Jenny's stuff is. I don't know if it's that expensive, but here's how I responded. I love this comic. This comic is from Off Key Comics. I'm not super familiar. In the first panel, there is a woman sitting in her pool with a big fountain behind her and hedges. We're all in this together, guys. The next one is a guy in a boat and he says, I'm social distancing on my yacht. Then we have a guy who's in a sparkling, massive kitchen with a huge spiral staircase. Stay home and learn a new skill. The next one, it is a woman in a blanket on the floor with garbage everywhere and an open can of what appears to be beans in her squalor. And she says, heh, they're just like me. Yeah. Is that what we're supposed to feel, Nancy? When we see you in your mansion eating your fancy ice cream while others line up at food banks, let them eat cake indeed. Is this what you're going to say to the 22 million people who don't know how they're going to buy food? The lines are getting longer. And when the food runs out, the revolutions begin. I'm not making that up. It is, well, it's disputed, you know, within varying degrees, but many experts believe that when food becomes scarce, revolutions begin. Nancy Pelosi could go make sure she could have voted on this weeks ago. And there would be there would still be money for the businesses to apply for grants so they can pay their staff. The companies that can't do this because the money runs out, they're now going to lay off their staff. So I appreciate it. You know, the people who are going hungry will be absolutely comforted in knowing that you have multiple flavors of ice cream in your very expensive freezer in your multi-million dollar mansion. I'm sure when they're sitting there grumbling, they're going to do what this comic young woman does and laugh and say, wow just like me, or their stomach will grumble and they'll say, I need food and I'm going to go get it. Well, of course, I think the, the, the criticism is apt. The Hill says the president's tweet echoed criticism he leveled at the Democratic leader earlier Friday during a White House coronavirus briefing when he accused Pelosi of not doing her job and called on her to come back to Washington to hammer out a deal. The president has blamed Democrats for a stalemate over a deal for new funds aimed at helping small businesses impacted by the coronavirus outbreak. I think the Democrats are going to do it. Look, Nancy Pelosi, she's away on vacation or something, and she could she should come back. Trump said at the briefing Friday, she should come back and get this done. I don't know why she's not coming back. The fact is she's not doing her job and there's nothing unusual about that for her. For anybody in Congress, man, there's only a couple people I like in the Senate and the House. All right. (laughs) I don't care what their party is. There's a couple people I like Tulsi. I like Dan Crenshaw. I like Rand Paul. I'm, I'm sure there's there, actually, you know, Tom Cotton gets a shout out because he was right about this from the get go, the coronavirus stuff. So major shout out to Tom Cotton. 
The small business loan program ran out of funds on Thursday without a deal for additional money. In the implementation, there is need for more money. We subscribe to that. We want to have more money for small business. We believe in that. The entrepreneurial spirit of America is so important, Pelosi said during an interview on MSNBC on Friday night. But it is also important to have funds for those on the front lines, the healthcare workers, the police and, and, and fire, EMS folks, and those who really need help as they try to stay alive. So we're hoping that we can come to an agreement. So uh, wait a minute. The Republicans said, can we get more money from this bill? Like, so we have this bill for, for a small business. Can you add money to that? And they said, what about the fire department? I, 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 we, well, okay, let's have that conversation. But for now, can we increase the funding to the small businesses? Well, what about, what about women and minorities? Those are actually the provisions they wanted put in. It makes no sense. So uh, actually, you know, I'm going to give another shout out. Matt Gates is pretty cool too. Um, I, I think Dan Crenshaw is like my top pick in Congress because he seems like a, a, a really all right dude. And then Rand Paul, but uh, those, those are my shout outs. I get it. They're Republicans. But you know, I think something fascinating is happening where we've seen all these retirements from these old guard Republicans who don't want to be involved anymore and good, get rid of them. Bring on the, the principled, liberty-minded individuals. Libertarian. I don't mean right-wing libertarian. I just mean like general liberty-minded. You want to protect the rights of people. You want to fight for what they, what, uh, what they need. Bring them in. Vote them all in. I don't care what their political party is. And, and, and to, you know, to varying degrees, I disagree with Dan Crenshaw on a ton of things, but I think he's honest about what he's trying to do. And that's the most important thing. I'm not the expert on a lot of these issues. I have my opinions. So there are a couple people I really like. Noting uh, Tulsi Gabbard's on the way out. She's not running again. So she dropped out. I don't know what her plan is. Trump maintained during the briefing Friday that even the small business loan program was running flawlessly despite reports of glitches and other issues affecting the rollout earlier this month. And he indicated he believed $250 billion would be enough for the program. It's going to get us to a point that's going to be rather beautiful. Well, it would have, because look, we're now hearing the governors want to start reopening things. Sounds like a good idea. I'm not the expert, but I'll take their word for it. Trump certainly wants to. He's, re- he's released his guidelines for reopening everything. It really does feel like we're going to get back to normal. and I'm kind of excited for it. So right now, as small businesses are without funding and they're going to have to start laying people off, we're nearing the end of the tunnel. We can see the light. If they had just approved this, we'd be, we'd be kicking back and saying, well, that was awful, but we are coming to the end of that tunnel and we got the funds we need. Right now we're struggling and we might break down before we even make it out. That would be nightmarish. 22 million people out of work and in need of food. And we got to figure out what we're going to do to get them the food they need. There's some uh, uh, conversation about maybe the government buying food from farmers and then sending it to food banks, but that doesn't account for the food that has to be processed. So what, maybe I guess like raw carrots and vegetables might make it. In the end, people need to work. It's not even just about whether or not we're going to get them the food they need. It's about stopping the collapse. Let's say no matter what happens, we come out of this. Well, businesses will go under permanently. It's not like they can just snap their fingers and come back. Bills pile up, rent piles up. What are you going to do? Everyone's going to be hurting. How about you get off your ice cream high horse and you go and pass this bill? Well, whatever. I doubt they will. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy told the Wall Street Journal on Friday that he would support additional funding for hospitals in a package aimed at helping small businesses saying he discussed the potential pairing with Trump at the White House on Thursday. During her appearance on the Late Late Show, Pelosi noted she had been in conversation all day with my members, with scientists, with people of faith. All right, all right, listen to this. The Republicans are caving in. Okay, fine, we'll fund your hospitals in the small business loan program package. That makes no sense, but they're going to do it anyway. Will Nancy Pelosi head out and go get the job done? I don't know. 
So Marco Rubio says, so I hear Speaker Pelosi really likes ice cream. Here's what I'm willing to do if she stops, if she will stop holding aid for small business hostage. Ted Cruz says, I'll throw in chunky soup she can eat. Are they offering up their food? If they agree and the Republicans are going to cave and give them what they want, why am I even recording this? Why are we having this conversation? Why, why is this the issue? I, I think it's because the Democrats just want to obstruct. It doesn't make sense that someone would be like, would you like to fund small business? What about hospitals? Uh, okay, fine. Uh, well, what about minorities? You're clearly not trying to fund what they're asking for. It seems like the true goal of the Democrats is just to block this. Maybe they want the unemployment numbers to go up because it's bad for Trump. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all next time.